We would like to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hi everyone, this is Zara. And I'm Ioana, and you're listening to the eighth episode of I Used to Play Piano, a podcast for listeners of music, doers of music, and lovers of music. We are back, baby. We are. <laughs> we just wanted to give you enough time to kind of forget us. And then, then you, you know, you get us back again. You never know when we're coming. And you realize how much you actually miss us. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the podcast where we haven't done an episode in so long that we had to listen to a previous episode. <laughs> to see how we introduce it. <laughs> oh, dear. So it has been a while since our last episode. We are Busy Ladies. Today, we're going to be interviewing a very special guest. Yolanda, would you like to introduce him? Uh, sure. So we were lucky enough to catch up with Doug Kelly, who is an opera singer and as well as a singer of Lida, German song, but we'll talk a lot of it, a lot more about that. Um, and we're going to be listening to a little bit of music that Doug and I have been working on since the beginning of the year. That's right. So we recorded this one a little while ago and it was an absolute pleasure to be sitting and listening and watching you guys perform. You might hear some background noises in this episode. We're we have just embracing a, the nature around us. We have a very another special guest in the studio or <laughs> outside the studio. That would be Kane, our resident dog, podcast dog, <laughs> who's making a bit of a nuisance of himself outside. You may have seen him in some photos on the, uh, the on our Instagram, yeah. <laughs> on our Instagram page. Um, but in the meantime, Zara, you have been very busy the last few months, including an international trip. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That's right. It's time for our favorite segment that doesn't really work because we don't do this every month anymore, but (laughs) your month in music. So over the last couple of months, I haven't done much playing, unfortunately, because I broke my finger, um, which may have been due to said dog mascot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wasn't his fault. Um, So I haven't been able to play, but I did get the opportunity to go overseas, which was really, really great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I went to spend a bit of time with my family in Northern Ireland, which was wonderful. And that included a trip to see some Ulster band parades, which is a really important cultural thing up in the north of Ireland. Um, And one of my cousins, Trevor, is um, involved in that. So he... Um, is part of the Cowan Cowan Memorial Marching Band Mm -hmm. and they do a lot of marches throughout the festival so it's a bit bit of an unusual thing I guess here in Australia these days yeah I did say to them I was like if this happened in Melbourne they'd be run off the road (laughs) yeah right so what's what's involved in the marches what sort of music do they play what's they play marching music, probably similar to the stuff that you guys play in the brass band. Brass band, right. yeah. Um, but there's different types of bands as well. So they have pipe bands. It's your bagpipes. Yeah. They've got um, accordion bands, which are all accordions. Oh wow. Yeah, I can't imagine having to march with an accordion. That seems yeah. like a lot of multitasking going on. It's hard <laughs> enough with brass. They do have brass bands. Yeah, right. And um, my cousin, he plays in a flute band um which there's different types of flute bands as well there's melody flute bands and harmony flute bands and i I think i hope i get this right his is a harmony one so they have kind of counter melodies going at the same time interesting it was really cool and so they took me um he took me he wasn't playing that night but we went up to see a band parade in uh county for yeah which is near well it's where enniskillen is um but it wasn't quite in enniskillen and that was really really interesting just to see the way the community comes out so they block off one of the main roads and then the bands march 
through the through the towns and yeah. the community comes out and sits on the side of the road and cheers them on and That's watches. Great. And we um we were standing outside one of the pubs and we could see because they get to the end of their course and then they have a break until it then they march back in the other direction. Right. And so they um we could see a few of the older band members coming down to the pub and then having to run back back to the start <laughs> in between. That's great. Um, and it was really wonderful. And they have lots of children involved. So I'll post some photos from that yeah, that'd be um, great. on our Instagram as well. Because it was really, really exciting and just cool to see a different, something that doesn't happen here. Although I was talking to some people since I've been back and they were saying that that's what the Salvation Army bands used to do. Yeah, yeah I think that, that was And I case. think there is a um, the... There are a couple of um, clubs, I think, here in Melbourne that do still do that kind okay, of stuff cool. too. So yeah. that was something really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I also was very fortunate to go to the European Music Therapy Conference in Denmark, oh, nice. um, which was a bit of a professional development opportunity for me, um, which was really, really cool. I went with some colleagues and had some very enriching discussions and got to see some wonderful research being presented. Um and the theme of the conference was resonance and they were talking about um, different ways that music can resonate in our lives, which was really lovely. Yeah. So one of the presenters in talking about this theme of resonance um, was talking about cladney plates, which are kind of metal plates um, where you can strike a bow or use electronics to vibrate them and it makes you put sand on the top and the sand forms different shapes depending on the vibrations. Right, that sounds cool. Which was beautiful and the sound is really cool too. And then at the end of my trip, just as we were waiting to go back, come back on the flights, um, we went to a science museum, my colleague Phoebe and I, and friend, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we went to um, the science museum and is that we, similar to what we have with like yeah science like science works, works here right. yeah and they had a cladney plate exhibition so we were able to have a go at them and it was oh, really cool lovely. so i'll post a um with phoebe's permission i guess i'll post a little um video of her doing that which was really really cool yeah and i want to get one it was really 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 fun could you build your own um yeah i think or so do you have to have does the metal have to sort of be in a particular shape i don't know let's Let's, um, that can be a homework task for our sound guy, Dan, I yeah. think. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. No worries. Love your work. Great man. <laughs> How's your month-ish, months in month music been, months. Joanna? <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Look, I've done a lot of, um, uh, of being able to get to a lot of different things, a few different opera um, gigs that I, uh, through work and also through um, just other things I've gone and seen. But the two standouts were probably... Um, Two, two or three weeks ago, I went and saw one of my favourite bands, Punch Brothers, in oh, the, cool. the State Theatre. Nice. Um, I've been to see them every time they've been out of uh, out to Australia and it's just, oh, they're just amazing. Like every time you just, it's great. My only qualm with them is that they play in venues like Melbourne Recital Centre or State Theatre. So you can't get up and have a bit of a boogie. Yeah. If you sat in your seat. But anyway, that was fine. And I think the best part of the concert which is something that I will probably remember for the rest of my life is at the very end so they sort of stood around one mic there's five of them in the group they stood around one mic and that's sort of how they they play and then as they introduce solos they sort of step away and step in and everything and for the last their last encore they came and stepped in front of the mic and played an acapella acoustic sort of version of one of their songs Mm. I have never heard the state theater so quiet like you could hear a pin drop it's that it was that quiet because everyone was just like holding their breath listening to them play 
and it was phenomenal. I, uh, I can't even describe it. All the hairs were standing up. Oh. It was just like, it was one of, it was just amazing. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really great gig. I'm so glad that I went. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then the other gig that uh, you and I, Zara, went to. Oh, was, yes. Uh, yeah, I forgot about this. The, this was a long time um, ago. <laughs> the Juliet Letters, um, written by Elvis Costello and the Bronsky Quartet. And this was played by the Crossing Machines, um, who I think is a new string-based quartet in Melbourne. That's right, yeah. Um, and they were joined by no no other than our very own Doug Kelly. Um, and they uh, – so I believe that the, that the Juliet Letters, who you might, might or might not be um, familiar with, was originally written for voice and string quartet. And so they played it in its original form. It was a really nice um, – it was nice little bit. It was in the – the um, butterfly club that's right yeah and it was just a really good um rendition of it i guess i really enjoyed it i thought it was great it was incredible it was the kind of music that you don't get a chance to see live no very often. there should be more it's of very it. unusual type music you know you've got kind of rock musician elvis costello with the string quartet if you haven't heard the album i would highly recommend going and yeah. listening to it um i think mark marcus wainwright is that his name? Rufus Wainwright. Rufus Wainwright. Wainwright. Marcus. <laughs> Rufus Wainwright um, heard, uh, has done one of the songs as well. Because when they started singing the last one, yeah. I was like, I yeah. know this. Where do I know this from? Yeah. It took me a while. But, yeah, um, it's a fantastic album and just a really, really novel way of doing music, you know, mm. kind of breaking down those barriers, both of classical music and of rock music as well and busting those stereotypes and combining yeah. them. It was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, so that was... Um, that was really enjoyable it and was. it was a nice night out with Ma- Ma- Zara. Yeah, it was nice to be able to do something without microphones in yeah. front of us. <laughs> this has become our friendship. Because every time we see each other, we're, we on, on, we're on record. Well, that's, um, um, that's a good segue, I guess, yeah, into so, our special guest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I guess Doug and I have been working together since the beginning of the year. We um, got to know each other through work and we were at a function at the end of last year and started talking about German Leader and realised that we both loved it. And so, yeah, we got together and started playing and hopefully we'll do a few gigs when Doug is back from Europe in October. So we'll definitely keep you posted for that. That's right. He's actually off on a big adventure, isn't he? Yeah, so he was the winner of the Leaderfest, um, which gave got him a scholarship to go and do a five-week course on Leader in Austria. So um, he's gone and done that. I think that's finished now, but he's he was going to spend a bit of time, a couple months extra. Wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is our interview with Doug. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> so today we've got a special guest, a good friend of mine, or he has become a good friend since we started working together, mm-hmm. um, Doug Kelly, who is a singer and does a lot of work with Victorian Opera and other companies around Australia as well. Um, so Doug and I got together to start playing some leader. Platonically, but yes. Yes, <laughs> platonic leader. <laughs> platonic that leader, stuff. yeah, exactly. Friendly uh, leader. Sorry, Richard. Um, <laughs> and we, um, yeah, and we've, we've been having great fun playing some music. I've never played music like this, but I'm really enjoying it. And Doug is really quite well versed in this sort of repertoire. So I'm learning a lot as well. 
So thanks for coming along today, Doug. Welcome. I am very happy to be here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into singing? Sure. Um, so I'm a 26-year-old, I had to think about that, 26-year-old <laughs> tenor, um, sort of light lyric tenor. Um, I got started in, I was never a very good musician or like a good practice. You tell me that now. <laughs> I was the worst student basically and we've all had to teach those people now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I was the one yeah who never practiced etc. Um, and then I sort of got into rock music and fell in love with singing and my teacher at the time was like you should try and do some private lessons etc. And uh, I was writing music, I was in a band, I did lessons, and then I heard, I actually did Schubert's Schwanegesang for the first time, and he was just coaching me through it uh, for a competition. And I fell in love with the music, and I was like, I'll actually never write music as good as Schubert. <laughs> and I know that's a lofty goal anyway, <laughs> but it's a good reason to give up on writing your own rock music. <laughs> so I was just like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on this. And um, I love singing anyway. and. Uh, yeah, so that's basically how I got started. And then I went to Queensland Con and moved down to Melbourne about three or four years ago mm. and have been loving it and been working with Mick Opera and, uh, yeah, just enjoying myself in Melbourne. Yeah, cool. Um, so can you just explain to our listeners what leader is? Sure. So <laughs> the, um, it literally just means songs in German. <laughs> um, but uh, it's sort of based off a tradition that started around the 1800s um, with Beethoven. Um, but it was with Haydn as well, and it was sort of developing pretty organically out of folk song, I'd mm -hmm. say. Um, so if you think of it as sort of transcendent folk song, so it's a lot of them are strophic, so a lot of them have verses, uh, particularly Beethoven's first cycle, um, and a lot of Beethoven songs just, you know, lots of verses, like we all know, like a good pop song. I didn't know Beethoven wrote songs, did you? Mm, neither, no. Yeah, I mean, they're good. Yeah. Um, they're very basic because yeah. I think, but it's got its natural sort of Beethoven flair to them. So mm. uh, they're kind of, you know, perfectly distilled Beethoven in a way, uh, but very simple. Um, but yeah, they sort of made, improved on the folk song and made it... Fancy. Yeah, fancy. Yeah. Fancy. <laughs> what a perfect word. <laughs> like a year's alien, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> did we just compare Beethoven to Iggy Azalea? Absolutely. Pretty sure <laughs> Beethoven did a fake American accent as well. <laughs> this is um, a first for this podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, we are trying to break down the... Uh, yeah, that's right. That cultural divide. Yes. <laughs> it's one way of going about it. Yeah, the worst way. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. All right. Yeah, um, I mean, that's basically it. And uh, sorry, I think maybe from then the master of it came along, which was Schubert. Mm. And that really sort of uh, is what the genre is now based on. It's probably yeah. Schubert's more than Beethoven's. Mm. Yeah, that's what I found interesting is that there's, you know, song tradition going back to the 15th century even. and mm. um, But the way that I guess everyone in the classical world knows it is from Schubert. I remember being introduced to Lida at uni yes. through Schubert. And, mm. um, yeah, I think El that's probably him. Yeah, the yeah. Elkoning. Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably how the, most people yeah. come across it, yeah. especially like on, I mean, my first sort of meeting with it, very first meeting with it was, um, I think, off of YouTube back in like grade <laughs> nine where my sister showed Did me. Did YouTube exist back then? I think so. <laughs> 
<laughs> How old am I? <laughs> um, no, I'm pretty sure it did. But uh, regardless, I saw Dietrich Fischer Diskel. He's got a famous recording of him singing Elkanich with Gerald Moore at the piano, and I think a lot of a lot of metal fans really love that because of the hard hitting piano in it. But yeah, it's, totally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as Sandman in his car and a shirt over there. Yeah, there's <laughs> another crossover divide. But. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's probably how most people come in contact with it yeah. is through Schubert. And certainly, um, interestingly enough, through Dietrich Fischer-Skau, who's recorded the most out of probably yeah, right. any singer, let alone leader or opera. Otherwise, yeah. he's probably just done the most recordings. Didn't Schubert write like over 600 songs or something, something ridiculous like, like that. that? Yeah, because his brother did a lot of, uh, probably more, but um, I mean, obviously it's pretty prolific anyway, but... His brother, I think he he was pretty careless with his manuscripts and just left mm. them around the house and stuff, as most... <laughs> Typical siblings. Musicians and siblings are siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say musicians, but yeah, just every sibling. Um, uh, yeah, you know, they just... I think he probably was just leaving around the house and his brother finally organised them all. And I think someone later, I, I have a feeling it was Mendelssohn, uh, brought them back even more and right, was yeah, a big right. sort of proponent of them. Yeah, I think mm. you're right there. Mm. I mean, even Schumann, I think he wrote 200 in the space of yeah. a year. Wow. Yeah. Just during his uh, tumultuous legal battles. Right. Yeah, I think that's actually where Liedekreutz, well, what we sang today was is based in, it was like 1840 or something. Yeah. And yeah, he just churned them out, you yeah. know? But the good thing is, I mean, that's what I also love about Lieder. It sort of distills a really big idea into two minutes of song, you know? Yeah. You're yeah. Like you're, like better than, but like your favorite pop song or like a song today, it's very much based on that tradition, I'd say. Mm. Um, you know, it's not these half an hour symphonies, which are equally fantastic, yeah. but there's sort of perfection in both. And I think their ability to capture the um, emotion in that time or whatever the, the yeah, poem is absolutely. and to really um, illustrate that in the music, which, mm. which, which I mean, in the works that we are mm. doing is very evident mm. and you, you you talk about the text and then you play it and you're just like oh yeah that's yeah really, it I just makes such clarity of an yeah. idea um and just to do it in that sort of uh it, you know through words through fantastic poetry just made it such an easy medium to get across to people immediately whereas you know some not to disparage like s symphonic works and stuff but sometimes they're a little bit more abstract i mean mm. pure music is it's difficult to yeah. um, to sometimes listen to first time or whatever, but uh, with leader, I mean, and and opera as well. It's like you know, if it's a five-hour Wagner opera, <laughs> you can barely maintain <laughs> the story by the end. But it's Are you as much as I love them. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, uh, I love every Wagner production, <laughs> but um, but certainly uh, it's. It's and, and you know, there's great music in there, but mm. to keep a story going for two minutes is a whole lot more engaging immediately mm. anyway. I mean, you can spend a life dedicated to long operas, but certainly it's a great form of immediate communication with Lita. Mm. So was Lita the first kind of, I guess, art song that you were introduced to after being in a rock band and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Is that more so than opera is your yeah, kind of gateway? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it right. was my gateway to classical music, I think. And yeah. I think uh, besides like small arias and, and yeah. um, little bleeding chunks, as they say, from operas, but um, such a lovely <laughs> <that> image. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what like Wagner <laughs> dedicates say about 
Wagner, chunks. when you like pull something out of it and sing it in isolation, it's called a bleeding chunk. That's mm. pretty metal as well, really. It's very metal, <laughs> yeah. But it's also very Wagner fans. Like yeah. they just mm. don't want anything taken from the whole. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that was probably my first introduction to even classical music, mm-hmm. actually. And sorry, my first sort of, not introduction, but my first um, real, you know, kinship with classical music yeah. was through that. It's yeah. a good way to get into it. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, I mean, it's like listening to a, like song cycles are basically like concept albums, mm. essentially. Like they're on a theme and you listen to them all the way through and each song tells a story. It's mm. super easy to grasp and the music's just fantastic. Mm. It's awesome music. So I think there's such huge parallels between leader and modern like rock music and things like yeah. that. Like I've often um, like had fantasies of like arranging like rock songs or metal songs in leader form as yeah. well like, mm. i think they would fit yeah. really really well yeah absolutely you know and you just do it maybe one day that's yours after Pick the, up the guitar after the phd <laughs> that's right. check back in no, two and a half years the PhD, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's way more important the world needs this rock opera cycle yes. anyway. um so speaking of opera versus leader a bit mm. um can you tell us I don't really know anything about singing, as you can probably tell. Um, are there any different techniques required? I haven't heard you between... sing, actually, so I'm going to need to hear <laughs> it's that. Probably before a good thing. I take your word for the fact that you're not an expert. Um, yeah, there's lots of there's, no, sorry, there's not lots of differences. I yeah. mean, certainly, I, I mean, there's a recording of Sting singing lead, singing John Dolan songs. Oh, really? All oh, right. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating. Is because, it good? Um, I mean. I think <laughs> I said that with a big sigh. So there you go. That's my answer. <laughs> it's okay. Like it's, yeah. it's, he gets through them. He sings them fine, but it kind of gives you an idea of there wasn't this huge voice needed to sing mm. yes. little songs with a lute. Um, it's certainly a bit, it's, it's art songs sung in this way because opera singers sing art song as well. And it sort of grew, they both grew in parallel to each other. Uh, but certainly you can sing the, um, in any required voice. You don't actually need to have an operatic voice because ideally you're singing with a piano and you're both at sort of um, equal volume the whole mm. time. That's the point of it, really. It's just you're supposed to be a partnership. And you don't need an operatic voice to sing over a piano. It helps in a big space, but sometimes leaders aren't not even done. Ideally, it's not done in a massive space mm. in an opera house. It's often done. Um, but yeah, as I said, like, you know, Sting's sung them. The thing that I would say you don't get out of Sting's recording is the sort of um, complete mastery of the voice and yeah. being able to do exactly what you want to do with your voice. Mm. And I think that's where opera singing actually helps. It's not so much volume or cutting over an orchestra like an opera singer needs to do. It's more just your manipulation of a phrase and singing pianissimo and singing forte is really helped by that sort of mastery of technique. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the main overlap and that's why so many opera singers sing leader well and vice versa. Yep. Yeah, cool. Are there any people who specifically only do leader or? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the money pool sort of dried up yeah, there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, as much as I'd love to say, there's yeah. so many people doing tours of them. <laughs> There's people who focus on song. Um, I think there's like people like Ian Bostrich at the moment, who certainly does. Who's probably the superstar in terms of leader. Mm. Um, he certainly does more leader than opera. 
but he has sung opera. But I think that would probably be your pinnacle. There's a lot of performance spaces around Europe. I reckon you'd probably find a lot more around yeah. Europe mm. doing it, but no, none in Australia. Yeah, that's right. for sure. Yeah. And opera singers certainly. And, and the other thing is, I think fans of Lida or classical music in general want to see a famous opera singer sing Lida. Right. Yeah. They don't yeah. want to sing a famous Lida interpreter yeah they wanted to see like they pay money for the Jonas Kaufmans and stuff to yeah. do leader concerts not saying Jonas is a bad leader singer no um, yeah. he's certainly great at both but it definitely it, the, the sort of niche market for each is is not really yeah. existent yeah is there any kind of I guess tension between or snobbery between <laughs> the two either like do you just looking yeah. for some uh, I some want the dirt. scoop yeah you want the scoop on this <laughs> keep it interesting for us that's yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah there's a massive infight between the two no, no. it's basically a civil war in classical music uh, no no not really I think in terms of like sharing the market I or yeah or just even in terms of like you know is if you go off and do a leader project is mm. that kind of good for your career like what do people think I see, in terms yeah. of that yeah um, i'd probably say no honestly yeah. i think yeah. the people who want to do leader do leader and yeah. it's all off their own sort of dime yeah and back and they're going to get leader fans and i'll sometimes as i said like when you get Jonas kaufman or yeah. anna trebko doing a recital People are going to go because of the name. Mm. Yeah. But if you get lesser known people doing leader concerts, I'd say it's all self-motivation. Yeah. They are just interested and want to do the music because there's a small market. And certainly once you get to a certain space, you could probably get that market every time. But yeah, I think it's all off their own um, motivation, which I love. Uh, that's a really good sign as well because it means when you're going to go to a leader concert, very often you're going to get a good singer totally singer. yeah and yeah. someone who passion cares projects. about yeah, yeah exactly it's a passion project you're mm. going to see like a good indie film overseeing yep. <laughs> the next marvel movie <laughs> so, you know i think if you think about it like that you're going to get you know some director's passion project yeah, mm. yeah. that's great mm. um so how do you keep yourself motivated to continue growing as a singer do you find it's something you struggle with at times <laughs> the age-old uh, no not at all um, oh, no no, no of course of course i do um, um it's well like i said especially with leader i mean i love leader um but again you know it's all pure self-motivation you've got to find people who are willing to do it yeah. <laughs> luckily i found someone who loves it hopefully as much as i do i do and uh which is pretty damn rare especially it is. it's hard to find people who are dedicated to yeah something. yeah absolutely and and mm. um sadly enough it's uh in the pianist realm it's really difficult and i i get it because it's not a, i mean it's not particularly challenging for a pianist in terms of virtuosity and mm. um and the spotlight being on you but the spotlight is a real shared one. yeah absolutely so if you find someone that is willing to chance spotlight um which is i mean then who's playing piano really besides concert pianists um you know full time it's difficult to find or accompanists who have got a thousand hours a week to do just accompanying and learn a million mm. songs do opera repetitoring it's just the time goes out the window for those people and then concert pianists have to spend eight hours a day on their own rep so there's so much opportunity here though then mm. because like we talked to a lot of our listeners talk about they're working mainly as teachers or in other fields, mm. but they're great pianists and they're not exactly. getting the chance exactly. to play. This is a really good area to explore yeah. if that's you, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Sadly enough, though, I mean, the singers have got to match it. And yeah. uh, and as I, I was saying to you guys earlier, like, often people are given Lita as sort of this precursor to opera. Right. Because it's easy, it's in the range, it's in your middle voice, there's nothing too challenging. I mean, Sting can sing it. So it's, it's like... <laughs> but the challenging part of Lita is the expression behind absolutely, it. Yeah. Absolutely. And being able to yeah. convey that. Because, I mean, yeah. even when we've been rehearsing, especially with Indefremde, yeah. there was so much... We spent a lot of time trying to make a difference between the two verses because, yeah. it's you know, as you would often say, it just gets repetitive and yeah. it's just not as interesting. So there's, that's where, to me anyway, the difficulty lies. Yeah, and I think there's... Uh, totally. And I think there's a sort of... Um, a certain pool missing from universities where you could put people who are like really interested in just expressing themselves musically mm. um, in, I mean, that's where they have to end up. But I mean, I'm interested in you guys. Do you think that, because I think music at unis, certainly it dries up a little bit of your musical interest. And then <laughs> I think a lot of the, I think there are a lot of the really expressive, really musical people end up in just writing their own stuff or doing a sort of doing a different art form or doing a different style of music because I think classical music caters less to the people who really want to express themselves. So I don't know if that's... I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I think part of the problem as well is that there's no opportunity after uni to continue pursuing music. Sure. So yes. that there's no sort of end goal. Yeah, yeah. So or even middle goal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, we... Yeah. I don't think any of us went into uni um, unless you might think <laughs> otherwise. But, I mean, certainly for me, I went into uni wanting to be an international piano superstar. Yeah, And, I mean, I realised that that was probably not going to happen at some stage, but that was okay. But I still sought out opportunities by going overseas and things like that. Mm. But I don't know if others felt that way because of the way that the course was structured. Like, it was really off my own bat. Yeah, And sure, I don't know. Sure. And, I mean, a lot of the people we studied with went into do music teaching. Yeah, I'd and say... it's a pretty classic road as well. And you, it's not that you don't want people doing music teaching no No, i mean you need it i guess it depends it depends firstly on what you go into the course with what hopes and expectations you have for yourself if you do want to end up you know playing piano as a concert pianist or whatever and then what the course offers you to get that and i don't think if that was your goal i don't think the university degrees here uh suited to it yeah i think there's a lot of um i guess structural challenges within the courses in terms of if you want if you have this goal but you're not already exactly 60% yeah. there I see what you mean you yeah, know so if, you, exactly if you're feel, not yeah. kind of promising when you start I yeah. think that there's very much uh, there's a culture among teachers to kind of not push or to even not necessarily on a conscious level I think a lot of teachers don't actually know how to support young students to achieve what's right for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm working at the con now, essentially, not as a teacher, but in the music therapy department. Mm. But being around that space and hearing, there's a lot of talk going on and they've got the Ignite Lab now, which is amazing. Mm. It's like a um, little department that talks about how to build a career as a musician, which is so essential. Because when we were studying, literally your options are teaching or... Accompanying. Accompanying, maybe. But even then, that's kind of you know, rare and there's not a whole lot of jobs. And I think this whole, there's now 
the universities are starting to build this, yeah. I guess, culture of realising that, okay, so maybe not everyone is going to be a mega superstar at their instrument, but they are, you know, there's now courses of for masters in orchestral playing, which oh, is really wow. important, you know, so that if you want to get into an orchestra, you can do a master's focused on that so you're not having to learn concerti and things like mm. that you're, you're actually focusing on the repertoire that's meaningful to you um so, they're looking well, at career I mean, building and yeah stuff. definitely yeah. a career that you have more of a shot at yeah than a superstar violin career i mean and that's it you need to have a greater pool of opportunities yeah. to sort of go whatever suits you yeah more. i think it is the culture here because i, pre- I remember when i was preparing for my auditions in the uk and my teacher who was helping me out was sort of saying, don't be surprised if you get in that you'll be, you know, you'll be expected to have a new piece memorized each week at each lesson. And if you spend more than four weeks on something, then you're spending too much time on it. And to me, that was like coming from, a, you know, That's crazy. A, a, a practice yeah. of yeah. <laughs> learning however many pieces would fit into our 45 minute recital at the end of the year. And that was all like that was that was just like what and i remember saying to him well why don't you like a lot of the teachers that teach at universities in melbourne or at monash or whatever they have had experience studying overseas so why don't they um why don't they incorporate their lessons in the way that they studied into the way that we do it here yeah i mean why don't you expect me to come to a lesson each week with something new memorized yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um here's what's well, just a culture people won't do it so it's right. really interesting. Yeah, it's like a low expectations sort of yeah, style yeah. of teaching, which is a poor I mean, way to start a, off. When so. I was a student, if someone told me I had to do that, I would have had a breakdown. Yeah, of you course know? you would have. <laughs> because it's not first, what we're used but if to. It's yeah. something that, you know, is, you know, maybe mm. not every week to begin with, but, you know, yeah. like once a month bring something that's memorised. So just to sort of start building mm. it in. That's just, yeah, I just found that really interesting. And I, that will never change here. Yeah, probably not. Probably I mean, change. unless you get the audience required of people to create like a sort of competition pool then there's just no I mean that's the other thing is like especially with leader is there's so little sort of um so little audience base here Mm. that the target's pretty low for what you'd want to see at a concert you know you and also I mean it is leader I shouldn't be too hard on Australians because um, it is in German the whole time (laughs) but that's there's another road for it because there's plenty of um, great English translations and that sort of thing so there's no lack of and the music's fantastic it's Mm. immediately communicative so um, it's, it's, we've got to build a b- bigger audience here I think somehow. it's about innovation as well like I've yeah, been seeing fairly. a lot of really great interactive and unusual performances like they've done um, the group Polyphonic Voices doing stuff at the museum or in the National yeah. Gallery and yeah. things like that and performing music but that's stuff that they organise themselves you know and it's I think it really we need to learn to diversify and to, to build your brand and to explore yeah. different arenas because at the end of the day we don't have a culture of going to concerts like they do in Europe and maybe that's okay as well you know like you know we're Australians are a bit more relaxed laid back and then there's a Mm. a really big mix of cultures in our country as well and you know looking to to build that 
as a strength rather than as something that's like, oh, well, we'll never be like that. I think mm. it's, it's possible. It's, yeah. But it does mean that a lot of that labor falls onto people who are passionate about it and <laughs> yeah. maybe it's a lot of unpaid work, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. I, I mean, yeah. the other thing, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but it is, it's the tightrope act of like, you don't want to dilute it too much. So mm, the, yeah. the baby's thrown out with the bathwater. You want to, that was so many... Um, metaphors just then <laughs> but um, but uh, you got my point yeah. mixed metaphors but uh it yeah i think you just want to make sure that the whatever the sort of um the purity or the art form of what you're doing isn't lost it there's unfortunately with Lita, it's kind of so uh it's so basic and simple there's nothing really you can and that, that's all you need. And that's what I kind of like about it as yeah. well. It's very bare bones and that's all you need. And if it's good, then people can tell no matter where they're from, yeah. what they're doing. It's a really easy art form to, um, to get across. Mm. It's not like opera where there's so many goddamn moving parts <laughs> that if one goes wrong, well, then that's going to be in the critique the next day, even if the singing was fantastic. It's just like, yeah. I just feel for opera directors and um and runners of opera because it's just it's so hard to make a perfect opera and it's almost no such thing yeah. it's just too yeah too many things going on mm. all you need is one bad director all you need is one bad singer all you need is one you know st- staging fault and that's yeah. the whole opera in the bin uh, not in the bin but <laughs> yeah anyway. critique i feel like classical music is held to a very high critique level as well True. Mm. which when you were asking before about you know does does studying it at uni suck the musicality out of you in a Mm. way I think that part of that is that I think we've talked about this in the podcast as well that standard of perfection that becomes the focus when really if you listen to the great pianists like Horowitz and Rubinstein Mm. then there's so many mistakes in Mm. there but it doesn't matter because they're brilliant and their musicality is center and I think that that's you know if we I, I have an interesting relationship with critiques because I understand that they're important but also it is a really you know from my music therapy perspective I'm like ah who cares <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you get something out of it of something. It's, yeah mm. it's a truly subjective experience yeah. I mean looking at oh, yeah, as you say like uh, Peter Piers and Benjamin Britten I mean the sketchiest German I've like <laughs> ever heard and it's because they like they didn't I mean he learned it uh, probably German and I, I actually don't know much about Peter's sort of education in it but I gather he probably didn't know a huge amount of Germans probably spoke at school or uni or Mm. whatever and um and it's very English German let me say uh but they communicate so perfectly he knows the music better than anyone it kind of feels like he knows what she was trying to get across that I don't really I'll go to that recording every time over Dietrich Fischer Discal which is utterly perfection wow but there's just it's it's just sort of cold um composer to listener it's mm. like he's not actually there he's just transmitting what the composer wanted yeah, right. and that there's a space for that to, too and i'm sure right. lots of people get love out of that as well but mm. there's something about peers that yeah for all its faults it's just it's it's just a magical sort of listening mm. experience Do we maybe we could post a youtube comparison or something for people to yeah, oh, yeah, sure. That's page. actually, I mean, that's cool, a, yeah. it's an interesting thing. If you, um, uh, there's certainly such different singers, mm. um, and they're a little hard to digest at times. Peers, especially, sometimes <laughs> a bit flat and stuff. But, um, 
but uh, yeah, he's he's a bit of a holy grail, holy relic in um, England, definitely, yeah. and you can see why when, yeah. you, when you listen to him. Speaking of those languages, mm. how do you find learning to sing in different languages? Yeah. Do you have to do anything <laughs> with your voice differently? <laughs> no, I mean it's all the same. Ultimately, you want to sing the same. Like it's okay. the same vowels, yeah. same shapes, same breath support. Mm. Uh, you want to sound as convincing as possible, I suppose. I, uh, I did a concert in Vienna last year, and that was very scary. Yeah, <laughs> singing uh, some of those songs to German speakers, but we worked on it enough, and it was fine. And obviously, they can understand every word. Yeah, but it's a bit like um, I suppose it's it's similar because apparently back in the day, uh, they'd have German actors in different provinces. And they'd all be speaking German, but then they'd go to a different town and their accents are so different yeah. that they couldn't understand the person yeah, speaking. Right. And so as soon as they started, these actors started traveling and stuff, there was a need for like a sort of homogenized German. Hmm. And so it's, I think it's Hochdeutsch, essentially just, just High Deutsch and High German. And it's like Shakespearean actors just yeah. doing everything in an English accent. Hmm. You get like, okay. And everyone gets it. Everyone kind of tacitly kind of agrees to that being the standard. Um, but yeah, so I think everyone kind of learns to a certain standard. Italian, it's like everything. Everything has accents. Italian has accent. Um, French certainly has different accents. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to speak it for the stage, really. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to hit, adhere to that because um, otherwise you're going to get a million different versions when you go over there. And luckily everyone totally agrees with it so yeah. yeah but it's working it out I did a semester of each language at uni and one year of Italian which is sadly like a sieve uh, out of my memory <laughs> I know but it goes quickly doesn't it <laughs> I mean, when you're not using it it, yeah. just, it just flies out but German I love because it's so the words are so meaty like there's yeah. so many like consonants and stuff you can do which makes it really expressive and <laughs> you can kind of add it's like a kinetic energy with the piano yeah. when you do that you say, <laughs> And stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I, I love German specifically for that. It's not as obviously not as flowy as Italian. Is it harder to breathe in if you're singing in French where they don't pronounce a lot of consonants? Like, well, do you have I to think no. I mean, it just it's it's all sort of relative. Okay. Like it, yeah. it, it just it's more flowy. I think mm. it's got the hardest thing in French is the nasal vowels. I guess. Right. I think most singers agree with that. I, very few Australian singers love singing in. Can French. you give us an example? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last French song I did. Um, well, like if you're going to do Entendre or something like that, yeah. you wouldn't actually sing the E at the end. That's a that's a neutral vowel. And so it would probably do Entendre, whatever, like it would just keep going on. Yeah. But, and then the obviously the first nasal sound <laughs> isn't the most fun. You can't go, oh, unless you're, <laughs> unless actually... I mean, there's a whole separate strand. You could do another podcast on French melody, which is just, yeah. or melodie, um, which is just the French word for songs, essentially. Yeah, right. And it's art song for French. And there was a, speaking of Dietrich Fischer-Descale for German, there's Gerard Suzet for French songs. Right. And he's basically the gold standard. And he is French as fuck. Like, he just, <laughs> like, he just goes straight in for those nasals. And it's like, oh, and it's very, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, again, it's like beautiful in its own way. And uh, just like Piers singing, is, it, it's got its own idiosyncratic yeah, right. uh, nature. Oh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a blast to listen to. So, that's cool. yeah, off the beaten track of the leader. But totally, anyway, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. 
Um, do you have a favourite set of leader that you like to sing? Uh, that I like to sing? Huh. I actually do love the leader cross at the moment. I mean, you just go through stages. It's like asking what your favourite piece of music is. It's what it yeah. is now. Yeah. Um, I love Shona Milleran. I've got a soft spot for that. Uh, and I'd like to do it before I get too old because it is about a young man. Um, I think you've got a bit of time. <laughs> no, it's running out. Sands <laughs> of time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, there's. Um, uh, let me think. Um, I think there's Winterizer is just impossible to get away from. It's yeah. so yeah. good. Um, it's it's just such a perfect piece of music. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuff. Yeah, that. yeah, which we will, because mm. um, <laughs> it's, it's a lifelong project as well, which is yeah. kind of what's fun about these and, and roles in opera. Like yeah. lots of people see them as not this fleeting thing or this ephemeral thing that you just kind of chuck away once you're finished with it. Uh, it's it's something that really grows with you as a person and you come back and see differently. That's lovely. Time. I mm. really like that. Yeah. I don't think we have that in piano. I think you would do. No, I think you, okay? you do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I find, yeah. Well, I think with, for me anyway, it works with like, especially in the romantic period. Yeah. Um, I think with Chopin, yeah. I didn't like Chopin when I was younger. And I, like I said in the first podcast, I think it's because I was just so young. And I think as you grow and you experience different yeah, things that's in your true. life. Do you, I mean, yeah. what's your favourite piece of piano music? Would it be, or composer, I shouldn't have I don't even that. know. That's yeah. such a hard question. It <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah. I don't have just one. You love Chopin, though. I I do. I I love Chopin, but I also love Liszt for a number of different reasons as well. And I really enjoy Bach as well. Mm. So there's just different composers for different sort Mm. of things. But, I mean, all of them I find challenging in so many different ways. And I just, there's like a very much a very big, like sort of satisfaction that comes out of playing them. Not so much that I've done it, but that, I've been able to express myself in a certain way and these have been ways, these have been yeah. pieces in which I can, I can do that, which, yeah. you know, is often not very easy to do yeah. speaking. So Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like I think most art, you know, you come back to it with a different set of yeah. eyes no matter where you are. There, I suppose there's a little sense of, like, nostalgia, like when you go back and read a book and you go, like, oh, I remember when I, where yeah. I was when yeah. I read this book. And music has a sort of specific energy with that like where you you know when you remember where you are when you listen to a piece of yeah oh yeah so maybe that's sort of inherent with it but i think there's um like i can always remember when i first like listened to winterizer and stuff yes yeah but there's it's more the story that it tells that you can come back with fresh eyes and sort of give something else of yourself yeah i suppose because you're always changing as well yeah you know your cells are new every seven years. <laughs> so. No, I listened to another podcast that th- said that. Oh, did they refute that? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm telling you yeah totally. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. memory's apparently stored in the blood now. Did you hear that? <laughs> now? Uh, now? Like, well, it didn't. I suppose it always was. But that's a weird... I haven't heard that. Well. I should I know that. Either. Yeah, it's like apparently yeah. part of your body and your physical makeup. But you need to look into that. I, I mean, I suppose it's that, all stored. Yeah. It, like, you know... Anyway. I mean, it took a lot about episodic memory in my area of research for dementia of and stuff, course, and you know yeah. that strong association, both emotionally and yeah, there's like the actual physical yeah. memory of what you were doing at that sure, time as well. Yeah. Really strong connections, right? Which yeah. are important. Yeah, there must be sort of a kinetic energy or mm. to, towards memory, maybe as well. I wonder if that. I just I love this idea that as a singer, you come back to these pieces and they grow with you, mm. and it's part of your identity and. Mm. 
because I, I find maybe for me because I don't play piano enough it's anymore much, yeah. and I find it hard to get back into an old piece like I actually find it quite traumatic in a way like I think it depends on yeah. the experience you had learning it because I find that too yeah right well I just find that there's I don't know if I, I may I hope one day I can play the Chopin first ballad again but I don't know if I'll ever make it back to that stage yeah. and it's that kind of whereas I guess with singing I mean, I don't want to disparage what you're no, doing. No, no, no. There's no way all. I could ever not sing, but you are only doing one note at a time. So. Oh, absolutely. But there's, <laughs> I think there's easier. a technical aspect to yeah, that as well. Of course. And, yeah. uh, but also like a kinetic thing as well. Yeah. Like you're feeling that in your, yeah. you know, lungs and in your body. Whereas mm. in piano, I think there's, you have a big machine in front of you, essentially. That absolutely, Maybe there's yeah. more of a disconnect as well. I don't know. Be interesting yeah. to hear from, I don't know, Dan, our sound guy's politely declining to talk but he is someone who does come back to a lot of pieces and stuff sometimes sometimes Sometimes. (laughs) i think i think that's pretty universal though i think going back to old pieces Mm. no you are right like especially when you're at uni and it's given a certain context there can be some bad there can be bad memories associated with music as well so absolutely you know it's it's all about um and that's, I mean, that's another thing. Like I meditate a lot and nice. that's something that can help bring a not fresh pair of eyes because you're always going to harbor some sort of memory, but it allows you to at least look into the moment and what you're doing in that present moment, which is totally, uh, I mean, it's a performing thing. It's universal, but with leader, there's something that you can add in that moment that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And mm. we can really just add it in the present moment and it works in an opera not so much yeah <laughs> because there's so many things riding on you of course yeah um so and i don't know about piano i'm sure that's the same thing yeah. but there's certain with some concert pianists i've seen there's a lot of there's just drilling there um a lot of the time yeah and sometimes it's and, those pieces are so goddamn hard to learn. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine, I yeah. guess you learn it off road and then, and there's something thrilling, I suppose, about just the complete virtuosity of what you're doing, yeah. that it's hard to add something in the moment. But there's also the teamwork, I think, mm. aspect that adds yeah. to that. Rather than a pianist, it's all you. Yeah. Whereas with that, there's something that wouldn't have been there because there's two yeah. people. Yeah. So I really love like that chamber playing, I suppose, thought. As well. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm do, you, do you guys do you do lots of chain work did, did you I've ever do I used to do a lot yeah. not anymore yeah <laughs> right yeah. yeah but I definitely oh I certainly felt more of an emotional connection to the music doing that I think just a different a different type of connection absolutely yeah it, yeah. yeah it's not not necessarily more or less but the good thing about being a singer is that you're always going to have someone else there yeah. yeah. There's no one, no one goes on a solo <laughs> singing tour. Thank God. Because <laughs> they would go all types of crazy. But, um, I really, I really love that idea of just growing with the piece and revisiting yeah. it in a different mm-hmm. stage. I'm going to really start thinking about that now because I think that, I think I know myself, I get caught up in the technicality of it. So of I think course, that's a really yeah, nice way totally to, to reframe it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's enough. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I mean, it helps me reframe yeah, it as well. Of course, there, yeah. Of course, songs and and pieces I love that I did at uni yeah. that were way ahead of what I could do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've come back with bad technique or whatever and yeah. and still struggling with technique, still struggling with all these things. Yeah, yeah. But um, even with musicality and getting there on every single day and just it's never going to be the same anyway. Mm. So just let it be what it's going to be on the day. Mm. Yeah. 
Let it be. Let it be. <laughs> okay, you had me sing. Um, okay. That wasn't as bad as you said it was going to be. Speaking of singing. Yes. So I was wondering if you could give us a few tips for vocal health. Um, so my job involves a lot of singing, even though I don't claim to be a singer. So from a singer's an actual singer's perspective, what would you say your best tips for vocal health are? Well, good techniques to start, yes. I think. I think most people would agree with that. And then you can pretty much do anything. It's, uh, I feel like, and not being crazy as well is a good help. Um, sounds obvious, not so easy. It's just, I think a lot of singers can get neurotic because it's part of you. And, you know, when you feel the slightest bit of sickness, you go, oh, my mm. voice is gone. And you feel tired, you go, oh, my voice is gone. And that's the same with, like, and they sound like that too when they say, um, you've hung around Big Opera enough, you must know. Um, <laughs> no comment. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's, and that's a unique thing about singers as well. I think that they're the, we can be the most vulnerable at times because it's all you. And I hate to say, like, it's not um, I think most instrumentalists I've heard talk about this go um, there's at least an instrument in the way or next to you or beside you whereas singers often it's just yeah it's just you and your lungs and your vocal folds so it's kind of a you know it's difficult to not be neurotic because yep. you just get like <laughs> you get sick and you go eh, okay I can't sing today but sometimes the best thing is actually uh, just going trusting yourself mm. and trusting your technique and you'll probably get through it cool and yeah handy tips time. very handy yeah, yeah that's yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. I mean otherwise just steaming and lemon and water yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and hot water what about pineapple juice they always that's say the pineapple juice is good for your throat I don't think that's what they say about pineapple juice <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but sure okay stop drinking that pineapple juice <laughs> I think it's, it's not where you. I was going with that <laughs> Lemon, let's stick to lemon. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's get on to the actual leader themselves. Yeah. Great. Oh, so can you tell us a bit about the, is it Lieder Christ? Lieder Christ. Lieder Christ. Don't trust me with my German. No, should be Christ, right? I was going to do an entire rap cycle of Ludacris's songs and call it Ludacris. Oh my God, do it. I thought that would be great. We will fund that. That can be a, I used to play piano special. I'm slightly obsessed with hip hop on the side. Um, I think it's hilarious and fun. That's amazing. Um, I did want to do R. Kelly's um, Trapped in the Closet Oh, you can't do that anymore though. Given the bad press. I cannot. Yeah, but Dan and I did stay up like years ago watching that. It goes for like seven hours. I know, it goes for so long. long. But I think an audience would stick around. Um, But anyway, maybe not. Maybe I could do it in installments. I want to be there for that. I can't do it now anyway. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, exactly. He's not, not accessible anymore yeah, no. yeah he's definitely a he's tainted, out in the bin um Lita back to Schumann ah Schumann anyway do you want to tell us a little a little bit about the work yeah so um Lita Christ literally means song cycle yeah opus 39 so what a title <laughs> very inventive um, not so much like his others. I think his probably crowning song cycle is Dichterliebe. Yeah. Which is Poet's Love. But this one, all the same, it's it's a collection of songs by poet Eichendorf. Uh, Clara, his Clara Wieck, 
I think that's her last name at the time. Sounds great. Was sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Sick last name. Are you talking about his wife? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Far Vic, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Vic. Vic or Vicman? I can't yeah. remember. No, I think, it's I think Vic. Vic. Yeah. Vic. Um, yeah. She sent over the Eichendorf poetry um, while they're doing their while they're, you know, um, what do they call it? Drowned by sort of legal matters, I guess. It was during yeah, the time. Yeah. So, do you know much about that? I've read a little bit about it. So, I think from what I understand, Schumann was a student of Clara's father, yeah. and he fell in love with Clara, and um, she and they wanted to get married, but um, Vic Senior could sense <laughs> instability in in um. He could sense, sense weakness, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cut that, please. <laughs> no, it's staying um, It's going to be our, um, the title of the episode. Weakness. <laughs> A he moment of weakness. <laughs> he could sense instability and was, it was worried that Schumann wouldn't be able to support mm. um, Clara and mm. he, then both of them. And so when... Schumann asked for Clara's hand in marriage. He said no, and he wouldn't. And I think he had like Grim. a legal obligation over a legal oh. right over Clara, and not and you know Ugh. not releasing her for marriage. <laughs> and so they took him. Yeah, it's funny. They took him to court because they really wanted to get married, and it was like a year long battle. And they eventually won, so they got married. But mm. um, yeah, in that time, I gather they were pretty separated out. during this time. I think there was correspondence. Yeah, I think um, there's some letters, the but there's yeah, I, but I think I that's think where. Yeah. This comes in. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, he turned out a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of work because he was obviously dealing with all these emotions and he was mentally unstable at this time. And so it was just sort of, I mean, he had a lot, I think, I, from what I understand, there was um, quite a history of mental illness in his family. Yeah. Um, and so he he was unwell with it. And so I think this was an output. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, he did so much. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, so Ludacris was Opus 39. I guess, and it's yeah, just a collection of. Um, it's not. It's no through line. It's not like Shona Miller and or Vinterizer or Dichterliebe even. Uh, they're sort of separate songs, but they do create a sort of thematic arc, mm. in a way, um, and that is typical of uh, the German sort of romantic period: mm-hmm. is uh, a man wanting a woman and the woman not wanting the man, so <laughs> and marrying someone else, which is I think it probably all. Not necessarily started, but it certainly was a really big element in Sturmont Drang, which is, I mean, you guys know Goethe, mm-hmm. and he wrote Werther when, his, when he was quite young. And it's all pretty, uh, when you read it, it's kind of ridiculous to read it these days. It's like a hundred pager. It's really easy to read, but it's so over the top. It's very <laughs> OTT and it's uh, very despairing. And you're like, why would he want to be with this guy anyway? But it is very, <laughs> also very youthful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, he ends up killing himself at the end of mm. the book. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> but there, and there was a massive suicide crisis after the book wow. was written. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. There was like a suicide epidemic because of wow. the book, because it became so you know, like popular yeah. and this sort of romantic idea became so um, entrenched in like young minds, you know, like like today. I mean, every yeah. kind of younger generation has a real thing. Yeah. 
Um, so it's like the Gen X of the 1800s. <laughs> but, um, uh, but like it's all very despairing. So yeah, so Goethe basically caused a whole bunch of people to commit suicide. Well, wow. Not, of I don't think you <laughs> That's can really a little blame it on controversial. Him. But um, very yeah, interesting, art has always yeah. been sort of a big influencer. So mm. and then Goethe immediately sort of not immediately but abandoned Sturmendrang, but obviously wow. sort of the spearhead of the Romantic yeah. movement. And so that's where Eichendorf kind of comes in. And so all this poetry is pretty romantic, yeah. pretty despairing as well. Um, but the ones we're doing today, should I mention those? Mm, absolutely. Um, so we're doing I'll Find a Book, which is the first one. Um, and that is uh, the way I like to think of it is it's, it's looking at a painting and it's of an old stone figure, and I should have looked up the stone figure, but I've totally forgotten his name. It is an actual painting in real life, yep. um, what it's based on. Um, anyway, and it's an old knight sitting above a grilled gate, and the wind's blowing through. And uh, it's very, he's all made of stone, and he's slowly crumbling, and he's been there for many hundreds of years. Uh, and outside it's quiet, and then all of a sudden it pans, and there's a wedding, wedding party underneath where the bride is getting married to someone uh, who you don't know, but the bride's weeping and that's how it finishes. Uh, and it's left in this sort of, it's all very slow moving as you'll hear. And there's not, a, it's very bare bones. Mm. Um, it's very, yeah, it's like- How would you describe it? Yeah. Yeah, it shows my t- my vulnerability around yeah, yeah. emotions and yeah. emotions around love. Yeah, and, the, and it's almost, like I think the whole thing's kind of done like a, like the stone figure Mm. because it it just moves so slowly Mm. and it's very bare and anyway so that concludes the first one (laughs) so it sort of leaves it hanging you don't know why she's crying um in the second one uh, the indifferenda that we're doing it's uh it's not necessarily a follow-on again there's no real sort of story arc but uh he's in the forest he's lost it's night time he can't see where he is um, and then the moonlight shines, shines through and he sees the castle underneath him, as if it was underneath him. And uh, he then sees a garden full of roses and the grave of his love. Again, all very despairing. I feel like I'm reading a story. Um, turning <laughs> pages like one time <laughs> one at a time. Um, Vermut is, I think, probably my favourite out mm. of the cycle. It's really beautiful. And the whole, the whole like one minute and 30 seconds of it is just like a long sigh. Mm. Um, but it's basically someone weaving over. I, I, could, I could sing as if I was happy, as if I was a nightingale, but at the bottom of it, at the actual base of it, um, there's sadness in the song. And everyone thinks it's happy, mm. but only I know that it's actually sad. So it's this sort of surreptitious sadness underneath. And the whole song sort of demonstrates that with this sort of flirting of major and minor. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, I just think it's a perfect two-minute song. Yeah. You couldn't ask for anything more in it. It just has a nice um, nice theme. It's, it's really hard to get together mm, as we've is. discovered. <laughs> and actually, I found it really hard to learn. And the only way that I really got mm. it under my fingers was literally pulling it apart. Wow. And going line by line and then slowly putting them back together. Yeah. And that was the only way that I it fell under my fingers. Right. It was just one of those pieces, those annoying pieces where you just, you know. It just you doesn't click. It, it doesn't click yeah. and you just got to really pull it all apart. Yeah, yeah. But then, and then also I think it's it seems so simple now that we've 
that yeah. you can play it so beautifully because it's the singing line kind of gives you everything yeah it does. but then underneath there i mean it's kind of symbolic of the actual song's mm. meaning as well so anyway that one's a gorgeous one and then spielicht which is also fantastic um it's sort of a twilight setting and the whole song's based about a sort of two-facedness that's not a word but it uh now. um it is now <laughs> um and it's just based around twilight being this sort of trusting people and them deceiving you so these two states you don't know if it's sun rising or sun setting in all these sorts of ideas and keeping uh things close to you as the idea of the hunter and shooting your deer or your doe which is pretty common um mm. throughout it like nightingales yeah they love right. their deers. Mm. um they love their schmerz when they're in their hats which is <laughs> what me and my friend always say <laughs> schmerz in the hats and that's all of german later but yeah that's um and it's got a beautiful theme which it is does. it is a tricky theme but um i think you play it really well no oh, thanks mate you're yeah, pretty good too <laughs> welcome buddy um so yeah those are the those are the songs but um otherwise the cycle is gorgeous other than those um there's some fantastic yeah, recordings out really there if you want to listen to them but uh looking forward to playing them all yeah mm. and very very digestible only like 30 minutes yeah of your time. it's fantastic music i did come across a, a quote that i'd like to read go for that it. schumann wrote in regards to the connection between words and music mm. He said, in songs, artistic souls first make each other's acquaintance, the poet with a composer and vice versa. They must be so constituted that the poet, were he a musician, would express himself in tones just as he has in words, and that the musician, were he a poet, would express himself in words as he has in his notes. I think it's really, yeah. it captures the That's essence of That's a very poignant way of putting the sort of uh, symbiotic nature of the mm. poet and composer. Because I think they they have to see something in the poetry. Everyone says Schubert chose lackluster poetry and then made it better, but yeah. I, it's just not true because he yeah. had to see something in the yeah. poetry to create the to sound. Create the sound. Yeah. He had to feel that rhythm of yeah. the yeah, verse totally, or... and and feel an emotional connection. And no matter how simple the yeah. poem is, you know, it's interesting because they're not collaborating, are they? It's He's no, receiving a copy of a totally. poem and the sending it to often music. Just yeah. Done. yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh man, I'd love to. I haven't ever thought about this before, but just comparing that to, you know, I'm thinking like Rogers and Hammerstein, <laughs> like that kind of like you know when you have <laughs> Elton and Tim. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like when you have people working together and writing together, compared to setting something to music mm. as well, it's really. Yeah, well, it's, I it, never yeah, thought it's about quite that. unique yeah. in a way because yeah. even opera has librettists and mm. composers that mm. often that work, work together. together. Yeah, that's right. And they send back edits, and and not to say that there aren't edits, like there are there edits in this as well, but it's often just to make the more the words, you know, sort of more impactful mm. through mm. the music. So, yeah, they're often at the service of the poet, mm. um, which is just fascinating. Mm. And poetry's kind of lost its. I mean, the loss, it's, um, it, there's just not as many around, really. Yeah. Or that we know of. There's probably plenty around. Yeah. But mm. um, it's, yeah, it's difficult to sort of, it's not a thing we read every day. Yeah. Because yeah. they're reading them all the time. Yeah, even yeah. in schools, it's not really yeah, taught much no, at all. No, were you taught much poetry at school? No. no. I was talking to my girlfriend about this the other day. You and studied yeah. literature rather than English. No, I studied literature. We did no poetry. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did lots of literature read, and yeah. not much Nothing poetry. Which is such a shame. It's so good. Well, it's like a, like you're saying with the short songs, you can convey something so powerful in such totally. a short amount of time. Totally. Yes. 
Mm. And now it's a really esoteric, hard thing to break into. Like, if you don't know where to start with poetry, you yeah. really need an introduction yeah. Yeah. in a good way. I still find it difficult to look over. Um, there's a Britain cycle um, by Tom Hardy poems. And Tom Hardy, like everyone knows, Test the Devils and stuff, which yeah. is which you hate. Um, <laughs> so let's not bring up your PTSD of Tess. But uh, high school texts. Oh. Was, did you read it in high school? Yeah, it was year oh, twelve. That, so no wonder. Year 12. It's fucking depressing. I had to read it three times. Yeah, far out. Um, but yeah, I, I I think his poetry is fantastic. It's so good. Mm. Uh, but the only the way I got through it was listening to Britain mm. and working through the music that yeah. way. Yeah. And if I didn't have that, I'd have no idea what the poems meant or kind of where to start with them. So I don't know if you guys find poetry easier than me, but it, I just find it a very hard realm to break into it yeah. unless you have the self, like the references yeah. and a good teacher to bring you into it. Yeah, so, I would have to agree with you. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I think we've we've covered quite a bit of... I think this is our longest interview yet. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, sorry, so much Graham, to talk so about. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fantastic. I can't wait to listen to my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Oh, there's no. that singer again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. So we'll have a listen to... Yeah, let's have yeah. a listen. Eingeschlafen auf der Lauer Oben Oh. 
Ich hör die Bächlein rauschen im Falte hier und hier. Im Falte intim rauschen, ich weiß nicht, wo ich bin. Die Nachtigallen schlagen hier in der Einsamkeit, als wollten sie was sagen von der alten schönen Zeit. Die Mondeschimmer. Fliegen, als seh ich unter mir das Schloss im Tale liegen und ist doch so weit von hier, als müsste in dem Garten voll Rosen, Weiß und Rot meine Liebste auf mich warten und ist doch so lange tot und ist doch lange tot. Und ist doch lange tot. Ich kann wohl manchmal singen, als ob ich
mich rühren sich die Bäume, Wolken ziehen wie schwere Träume. Was will dieses Grauen bedeuten? Hast ein Red, du lieb vorhanden, Lass es nicht alleine grasen, Jäge ziehen im Wald und blasen, Stimmen hin und wieder wandern. Hast du einen Freund in Eden, Trau ihm nicht zu dieser Stunde, Freundlich wohl mit Aug und Munde, Sind der Krieg im tückischen Frieden. Was heut geht, Es geht ihm Nacht verloren. Hüte dich, sei wach und munter. It was, well, I'm sure it was well, fun it was for you fun to play. To play. Yeah. 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 Fun yeah. for me to listen. I was, yeah, I forget how enjoyable it is just to hear live music. Yeah. Especially yeah, in such a small space as well. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. So yeah. thanks, guys. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great nice. time. Thank I you will definitely come back on again if you need me to speak about anything else. Absolutely. I'll study hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, anytime. And yeah, thank you for giving your time and for sharing the music so with welcome. us and your insights. You've already blown my mind today. I know <laughs> I'm going to go t tackle my pieces in a completely different way now. It's good. Oh, terrific. It's a good mindset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you. No, thank you. Well, that was an amazing interview. <laughs> it was. It was lots of fun having a chat to Doug. It was so much fun. And also, like, as I said at the start, it was incredible just to sit down for Dan and I just to watch you guys play. <laughs> it's really, you know, it was quite an intimate. We were at um, Horty Hall yeah. where Vic Opera is based um, while we were recording. And it was really great to just kind of sit there and listen to people play beautiful music in <laughs> such a small set, like, you know, not in a concert setting. And yeah. it kind of made me like... Oh, is this what it was like before TVs when people <laughs> used to do this in their living rooms and stuff? Probably. Yeah. It was really fun. And it is um, it is really fun when you find someone to work with who is just equally as excited about working on something with you. And so Doug has obviously got a wealth of knowledge around leader and experience because he's done a lot of it before. So it was great to work with him in that and yeah. get some insight but it was also a nice reminder to myself that I do actually know stuff about music and I can play which had, it had been a good good year yeah. at least since I played <laughs> properly so um yeah it was really good that's fantastic mm. 
Speaking of um, getting back into playing and stuff like that, that's something I've been doing a bit recently, um, having kind of come out the other end of a four-month rehab process for my poor broken finger. <laughs> and it's actually the other night I sat down, I just smashed out a bit of Schubert. Love it. Um, you might have seen it on our Instagram at some point. Um, I love that you can just smash out some Schubert. Oh, it was just <laughs> the most fun. Look, and it, it was just an impromptu. No, impromptu yeah an impromptu and it was just was it an impromptu impromptu it was an impromptu impromptu (laughs) moment and I thought my finger was a bit sore and my chronic injury with my wrist was still a bit sore but I um because it flares up every now and then but I just really needed to play Schubert at that moment and it was just such a pleasure to be able to do that and you forget how much that music can mean in your life Yeah, yeah it's so true it really is speaking of rehab as well um we'd love to hear from you um in if you listen to our Alexander Technique um, episode, which was episode seven a couple of months ago. And we'd love to hear if you've um, tried to explore some technique based things since listening to that. Were you inspired to take up Alexander Technique? I think we've had one listener who's booked in a lesson. Yes. Yeah. One yeah. of my mates was uh, telling me how he was very interested in the process and was going to look into it. I'm not sure if he's going, he's actually done it. So I'll have to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoot us an email. Um, you can always email us if you've got any suggestions or if you'd like to talk about any of the things we've t- talked about on the show. Our email address as always is I used to play podcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on any of the Facebook or Insta. Yep, at I Used to Play Piano podcast on those um, social media things. <laughs> and I think it might be time, that special time in each episode, oh. everyone's favourite segment. Yes. For... Definitely ours. De- oh, absolutely ours. <laughs> it is scale of the episode. <laughs> what have we got today, Ioana? So... Dan Liston, our sound man, has tasked us with doing the D Lydian scale. D Lydian. I had to ask him what that was made up of. <laughs> delightful, <laughs> I would say. It's delightful. <laughs> so it's a D major scale with a G sharp. There you go. You sharp there, four is the Lydian scale, isn't it? Yeah. So are you doing this or am I doing this? You're doing it. Okay. You're sitting in front of the camera. My fingers. Oh, well, let's shuffle around. My finger's still in recovery, <laughs> oh, technically. <fair laughs> yeah, use that excuse yeah. when you. When I'll be milking it you. as long as I can. <laughs> All right, here we go. Seven and a half weeks, hey, Dan? really like it hasn't finished and I should go into a D major chord or something <laughs> I like it it's just a it's happy but just a little bit unsettling yeah <laughs> it's just like am I really happy <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was our scale of the episode I yeah. hope you enjoyed and we would love to hear you playing your scale of the episode this month have you been practicing your scales everyone yeah send us um send us an Instagram story or a Facebook story of you playing a D Lydian scale this month yes do it just don't forget that G sharp. Yep. So we've come to the end of another episode. How exciting. Sorry that it's taken so long, but we're glad that we've finally done this again. Yes, it's been way too long. Yes. Um, so, as always, hit us up on the uh, all the usual. Find things. us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, find us on Facebook and Instagram at I Used to Play Piano. And or send us an email at I Used to Play Podcast at gmail.com. 
And until next time we drop into your podcast feed, <laughs> uh, have fun playing music. <laughs> <laughs>